Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Today, if you have your Bibles ready, we'll be in the book of Genesis chapter 7, verses 7 to 24. The title of this sermon is, The Lord Shut Him In. Here is the second half and conclusion of this two-part study. At five and six and seven years old, and what do you do with a five and six, seven-year-old? You actually create problems. Because if you start messing with their, questioning their gender at that age, what's gonna happen? Their, their minds are just developing. Your mind is not fully developed, I think, until 20-something years old. But we need to, we need to remember, our, our, the thing that guides our life is the Word of God, right? It's the Word of God. And, and we need to remember that. Don't, don't get wrapped up in your emotions and feelings. And that goes either way. Because a lot of Christians got wrapped up in the, in the other stuff. Okay? It happens. We need to focus on the thing that God has called us to do. We stand up for what's wrong. If it goes against God's word, we have to say it. We have to. Especially you men of God. It's our job to protect our families. It's my job to make sure you're informed and that you know what the Word of God says on it. We've gone over it just in these seven chapters, male and female, male and female, male and female. God created you the way that you are. Okay? But if you're struggling with some of that, then that's, it's time to, let's pray. Let's talk. Let's, 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 you know, let's, let's work this out. Let's talk this out. But get them to, to, to actually look at it practically from God's word, not from their emotions and feelings. And I'm saying this, I, I want you to understand it. I'm, I'm saying this because I have, I have family members that are struggling with this. Not here in Texas, but in other states. And so, it, it, it's hard. You see, you see the, I mean, my niece is so beautiful, and she looks like a man now. And she don't know God. And right now, her judgment is coming. If something doesn't change. And, and so, we need to be willing to stand up. So they entered in male and female of all flesh when, 
uh, went as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. John 10, verse 9. The Lord will shut it, up, shut it down again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus Christ is the only way. The door is shut here by God. By God. And the door will be shut again by Jesus in the second coming. You know, our, our, when we look at this this story of, of, of Noah, we're looking at a historical person. We're looking at a, a real flood. And Jesus actually confirms all of this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36. It says, But on that day no one knows the hour, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he goes down in verse 38. It says, For as in the days of the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. So that's going to happen again. So when the second coming happens, the rapture happens, people will still be getting married, people will still be eating and drinking, then continuing in their sexual morality, their immorality, all the stuff that's happening, chasing the false gods of this world, just like they did with Noah. Just as the rain starts, you can imagine somebody's getting married that day. Oh, it's just a little rain. But they're getting married. And yet we have Jesus confirming the story. And did not know until the, the, the flood came and took them all away, so also will, be, uh, will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be left, in, uh, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at the hour you do not expect. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-5, through 5, it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to the reserve of judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly. So again, you have Peter confirming. And, and it can't be a local flood if it's going to bring in the flood of the world of the ungodly. For the world. They enter the ark, the door is shut, and they have no steering. They're completely trusting God. They enter the ark, and you're thinking, where are they going to do with all the animals' mess? They trust in God. Did we have enough food to feed everybody, including the animals? They're trusting God. Noah prepared like he was called to do. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he may bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the destruction of, of the ark. 
in which few that eight persons were brought to safety through the water. Corresponding to the baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God. Having gone into the heaven and after the angels and authorities and the powers have been subjected to him. They entered into the ark of safety. We choose salvation and enter into the safety of Jesus Christ. And our salvation is set. In Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How should we know who died to, to live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as of us were baptized into, Jesus, or baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore where we were buried and with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be li uh, in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that, uh, that your old man, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. And so, the people outside the ark will face judgment. The animals will be destroyed. The door is shut. And today we enter into Christ. And it's amazing when you read about Noah, how much Noah is covered in Peter. In 2 Peter and 1 Peter. And how it's compared to the judgments. And, and there will be a second judgment where God will... God will, will bring judgment again. And every person on the face of the earth, whether he accept it or not, you either go through the great white throne of judgment or you'll be at the Bema Seat judgment. The Bema Seat judgment is for those that are followers of Christ. But the great white throne of judgment is covered in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. The death of Hades were cast into the lake of fire, the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is a, a, another judgment that is coming. And for those that have chosen to follow Jesus Christ, you are protected by... Christ, just like Noah was protected in the ark by God and his family. Verse 17, it says, Now the flood waters, uh, the flood was on the earth, the waters increased and lifted up the ark, 
and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole earth were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered, and all the flesh died that moved on the earth, the birds and the cattle and the beasts and every creepy things that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of uh, the spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creepy thing, and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. So what I want to show you is a video to kind of give you an idea. As we just read verses 17 through 24. I want to make sure you get the visual of what happened. Because when you read that, you're kind of going, I think, I understand. But I think physically, when you see the evidence of what happened, because that's what we'll see, um, I think we'll, we'll kind of have a better picture of these verses. And that's why I wanted to show this video. So, 600th year of Noah's life in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. These two events, the fountains of the great deep breaking up and the windows of heaven opening, began the first day of a 371 day long calamity that resurfaced the earth and killed everything that moved on land. Hot magma mixed with steam pierced the earth's crust. Giant rifts or tears ran thousands of miles across the planet. Scalding hot magma vaporized massive amounts of water that jetted into the atmosphere. The water fell back to earth as intense global rain along with torrential rain from heaven for 40 days. Worldwide catastrophic rifting caused massive mud-filled tsunamis to speed across deep ocean floors, then onto shallow ocean floors, killing everything in their path. The first mega sequence wipes out mostly shallow marine habitats. The bursting fountains of the great deep spew out megatons of magma and carbon dioxide. Sure enough, the first mega sequence rocks show a spike in volcanic activity and massive amounts of carbon dioxide. During these first 40 days, intense water currents overtopped most of the flooded continents. Water-laden sediment travels at highway speeds. Thick sediment blankets start covering low regions of the continent. Fossils show that the first three megasequences buried the shallow seas that were filled with marine life, as these deposits have almost no trees or land animals. All three megasequences covered similar environments across North and South America and Africa the three continents map so far. One global cause, Noah's flood, best explains this one worldwide effect. Then by the 40th day of the flood, the Absorica megasequence began hitting. The maps show that this is when things got much worse. Something shoves the water over the tops of even the high lands from that ancient world. The newly forming ocean floor offshore is so hot that it starts very thick, pushing up the ocean waters from beneath. Sea level rises dramatically. Molten magma rises and fills the widening gaps, pushing the mid-ocean ridges wider. The hot ocean floor shoves against the continents, then slides beneath it, like giant conveyor belts, 
deep beneath the earth in some places. Rather than the conventional model that has the seafloor spreading slowly, this runaway subduction actually happened quickly, moving at about 5 miles per hour due to the heat caused by the friction and pressure of the rapidly subducting plates. As the diving ocean plates subduct under the land, they push down the continental edges and then release them, creating tsunami cycles that blanket the continents, just how tsunamis happen today, only more intense and frequent. For example, the most powerful earthquake ever recorded in Japan and the fourth largest in history was a magnitude 9.1 earthquake that occurred in 2011. This earthquake was caused by an undersea megathrust about 45 miles east of the Japanese coast. At the center, there was a 160-foot slip between the overriding plate that was part of Japan and the underlying Pacific plate. The sea bottom rose about 23 feet when the fault unlocked, and the resulting earthquake triggered a devastating tsunami that was 133 feet above sea level and traveled inland for six miles. The tsunamis occurring during the flood, however, were different, much different. With the ocean ridge bursting open rapidly and pushing the ocean floor under land continents on a worldwide scale, tsunamis were happening in cycles, several every hour, and with long stretches of subduction zones active at the same time. Recent seismic technology actually allows us to investigate whether this type of rapid subduction occurred. Sure enough, these scans reveal a ring of unexpectedly cold rock at the bottom of the mantle, beneath the subduction zones that surround the Pacific Ocean. The severity and elevation of this stage of the flood is why the first land creatures and plants start showing up in the fossil record laid down by the Absorica mega sequence. Entire ecosystems are buried in enormous deposits that later turn into coal, such as the extensive Appalachian coal beds. In fact, the U.S. has over 7 trillion tons of coal reserves. Where did it all come from? While we know that coal is formed by dead plant material being sandwiched between sediment layers, we only have enough vegetation on the Earth's surface today to produce just a fraction of the existing coal reserves. This shows that the pre-flood world was mostly covered by lush vegetation. The rising floodwaters and tsunamis that were necessary to sweep over the land and bury vast amounts of vegetation that turned into coal are best explained by a catastrophe of worldwide proportions. The fact that over a dozen states in the U.S. are filled with dinosaur fossils buried under heaps of mud also attest to the flood. In fact, geologists have found a temporarily exposed dinosaur peninsula where the dinosaurs made their last stand, now buried there along with lake and sea life transported by the massive waves. The earlier flood deposits, the first three megasequences, do not seem to have deposited much material over this dinosaur peninsula. Only a few hundred yards of sediment remain along the margins, and in many places, no deposition is left at all. Deposits thousands of feet thick occur east and west of this temporarily exposed peninsula that extends from Minnesota to New Mexico. Now buried across it are pre-flood wetland plants and animals, including dinosaurs, turtles, frogs, fish, and many birds. The Bible records that on the 150th day of the flood, God made a wind to pass over the earth. The waters started to recede. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. Now enters the final mega-sequence, the Tejas. Here, after the water peaked over the top of the highest remnant of the pre-flood world, it began to rush off the continents, eroding and reworking some of the deposits laid down in the previous mega-sequences, especially carving away at the Zuni deposits. This final sequence appears to have been different than the others because there was a reversal in flow direction as the waters began to sheet off the continents. 
This flow reversal transported much of the fossils deposited earlier off the highest uplands, spreading them towards the edges of the continent. The evidence points to the Tejas draining the floodwaters southward off of the U.S. towards the Gulf of Mexico with a sheet wash pattern all at once. This is why we find massive sand deposits in the deep water of the Gulf of Mexico. When God stopped the fountains of the Great Deep on day 150, the new ocean surface began cooling and sinking, allowing the floodwaters to lower as they sheeted off the continents into the new ocean basins. Psalm 104 describes the mountains being raised at the end of the flood and the waters draining down valleys and off the emerging new land surfaces. The seafloor rifting process and the resulting mountain forming process explains why sea creatures are found on mountaintops all over the world, high above current sea levels. For the remaining 220 days of the flood, the water recedes from the earth and it dries out, allowing time for earth to be replenished with vegetation for the animals to eat when they eventually come off the ark. This year-long catastrophe left behind a vast number of proofs that, quite frankly, make its occurrence obvious. First, we have the staggering volume of fossil-bearing sedimentary rocks around the world. Over one mile thick on average, billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And the sediment they are found in lies above sea level. What sort of water process could emplace so much sediment above sea level on top of the land surface? The ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month. Just as Noah and his family entered through the single door of the ark to be saved from the flood, there's only one way of salvation today. Jesus Christ in the book of John says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Actually, next week what we'll do is we're actually going to show a video that shows the physical proof, um, the evidence of a young earth, as well as the evidence of a global flood when they go into the, uh, the Grand Canyon. And then also, uh, just for giggles and grins, there's another video that I like that I, when I was in school we were doing biblical archaeology. And I liked it because it shows when Mount St. Helens exploded and burst. I know most of y'all may not remember that. I thought I was, I was a kid at the time when that happened. But they show the effect of what happens when uh, an eruption happens and how quickly it can change the environment down to the grooves of rocks within weeks and months of what, that's what water can do. And, and it's, it's, you know, so there's always this talk of, 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 you know, how many million years old the earth is, but we can, we have evidence that shows a young earth. We have evidence of a global flood. And I think the thing that I want y'all to grasp out of this, this, the, this chapter is that God's promise to, Mo, uh, to Noah was, was fulfilled. Noah did what he was called to do. He didn't even know. He hadn't seen it yet. But he did it. And his family was saved. It's important for us to remember faith with our family. How important it is for us to spend time with each other to actually talk about God. And, and to be patient. I know that, that we have, just from going to the schools, we have a lot of kids that are struggling with some heavy issues. And we have to be patient and show grace and mercy with them. I mean, I get fiery when, I, when we talk about identity and all that, but that's, that's not going to 
transfer over if I'm sitting down talking to somebody. I, I need to listen to them and hear what they're going through. Because a lot of times it's stuff that's going on in here and in here. And and it's, you know, it's the emotion and the, the feeling of, of, of just the battle that they're going through. And you just never know what somebody's dealing with. And so we need to be graceful in that. And, and we need to trust God's word the way that Noah did. We need to trust God's word the way that Noah did. The door closed. The question you have to ask yourself, are you going to be in it? Because our ark is Jesus Christ. Right? He is the door. And, and that's part of the, the beautiful I am statements from Jesus. And the book of John. And, and you know, I am the door. In John chapter 6, verses 37, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, is He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 